Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. We are your host, Matthew and Aaron Miller. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about, well, the twin dragons, the two dragons, the two serpents. Uh, this conversation stems from a very, very simplistic question. Is Satan an entity or is Satan a term for a group of seven different angelic beings. Before, we have talked in previous programs about this satanic civil war. Now, with that in mind, you have to take some some, some principles out from the beginning. That, that When you read Isaiah chapter 27, it comes right out of the gate telling you there is a fleeing serpent and a crooked serpent, and then it identifies a third dragon. Now, let us be very clear about this, that in the Hebrew, it says a Leviathan, the piercing serpent. Then it says another Leviathan that is a crooked serpent. Then thirdly, it says, and he shall slay the dragon, this being the the tannin, the dragon that is in the sea. First thing we got to do is this. Make no mistakes about it. We have to believe it first. Correct, Aaron? Correct. That's what you have to do first. And he is saying something detrimentally important because Isaiah chapter 27 goes on to say things that you you better have a firm foundation because he's going to say things that, that is really going to rock the boat. You don't know what he's talking about. What is his context? Why is he asking questions twice? He repeats questions in this, this chapter. So you better come to grips with, with this first verse before you move, move any further. So Let's put this back to the book of Revelation. What could the fleeing serpent be? What could the crooked be? These two serpents. They're obviously two different types of serpents. What is the fleeing and what is the crooked? Okay. So in the scripture, um, the Old Testament, we are told continually about a Leviathan and Rahab. They seem synonymous. So, um, in the book of Revelation, seven heads occurs very frequently. It occurs with the dragon, the red dragon. That's right. And then it occurs with the beast who comes out of the sea. That's right. And then later on in um, uh, Revelation chapter 17, 
we are presented with a Scarlet Beast. We're not entirely sure if it's like a mingling between those two or what, but we're going to get to that later. So, the seven heads, okay? So, what is Leviathan? Leviathan by it is commonly interpreted as a wriggling the wriggling one but i but i give my own derivation uh, like I, I parsed it and took it apart and i believe it actually means the united dragon the uh, referring to unification right and so um this is what my dad has always told me that it, it was a pact between angels when a bunch of angels would come together and then make a pact and seal it, and this is what you would call a Leviathan. So, um, I think this goes all the way back to, in the beginning, the first enemy of man was the serpent. And the serpent, I do believe it was an actual dragon, a, a living dragon, who was influenced by uh, a satanic being. And this dragon is what I would call Rahab, or the the uh, prideful one. So, um, if I were to figure out who is who, you have to go to Job chapter 26. And there it says, um, in verse 12, he quieted the sea with his power. And by his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his breath, the heavens were cleared and his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. So, we know this much. Satan, the dragon Satan, is not yet pierced or shattered. Later on, we will read about Rahab in uh, Isaiah. It's also used in Isaiah chapter 51. Um, awake! Uh, this is verse 9 of 51. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as the days of old and the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? So this is clear to say that Rahab the dragon was pierced long ago. So I believe the fleeing serpent refers to the first incursion. This would be, of course, the beast who come up out of the sea. The, of course, the book of Revelation refers to it as a beast rather than a dragon. But you get the idea. A monster. Mm-hmm. So, this, um, why, why would you use this terminology? Well, it, it's strange enough, but this is true. We have to come to grips with the facts, okay? In pagan texts, in the Canaanite, the Ugaritic Baal cycle, it clearly says about Baal, it says, when now you killed Lotan, which is another form of Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, and made an end to the crooked serpent, the mighty tyrant of seven heads. So, putting it into context, we know from Psalms chapter 74 that Leviathan has more than one head. doesn't give us the number. So you have to go to this pagan text to show us that Leviathan was understood as having seven. And this is why the dragon in the book of Revelation has seven heads. And why it represents this. Um, we can interpret it two ways. Isaiah took this, quoted the Baal cycle on purpose, 
Alternatively, this was during the time where syncretism was going on in Israel, when they were saying that uh, God was what that God of Israel was El of the Canaanites, and they were saying Baal was his son, and they syncretism. They 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 took the polytheism and mixed it with that. So the Baal cycle actually might have been written during that period. So they actually were getting that from the Hebrews, which that that would make sense. It's one of those two things. And um but this much is clear that the dragon had seven heads. And what does it mean to have seven heads? Well we use that same term for heads as a you know, a head manager or um something like that. A, a head as in being a leader. A general. Yeah. That word in, in Hebrew can Rosh can be, of course, translated as a, as a prince as well. So, these are seven leaders, seven angels who have chained themselves together in an oath. We see this, of course, in Enoch chapter 6. They bound themselves in mutual vows. That's the, the very words it says. It says, in mutual vows. That's the way it says it. So, covenants. They made it towards each other. And even further, later on, it says the seven stars uh, in uh, later on in the book of Enoch, uh, Enoch chapter 21, it says the seven stars are the angels are the host of God who, who transgressed their proper orders. What does that mean to transgress your order? So. The book of Enoch, we've already talked about this before, goes out of its way to show how all the stars have their proper orders, all the plants have their proper orders, all of that. They all obey God, and they right. have their cycles that they have to go through. Right. But these angels failed to do that. By falling, their office was left empty. I mean, what do you do if the general United States just up and quits? Goes AWOL. I mean... You have to, you know, recruit someone. But what you say, well, we well, say more importantly, son, ish orders have to be issued for that position to be filled. Let's say that the general goes AWOL. That is a literal vacuum because the lieutenant colonel or the colonel can't step up and fill his shoes. Orders must be issued to fill that post. You understand that. His his next in command, his next in command would probably be a full bird colonel. He cannot assume the responsibilities without it, orders being issued by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. In Scripture, we're told the angels aren't supposed to marry, right? So they don't make, they can't have children. You have a limited number of angels. If a bunch of them quit their jobs, who's mm -hmm. going to refill their place? Creation itself would, from the outset, start to become chaotic, disorganized. Everything would eventually transgress out of its path. So, you're talking dire consequences here. Yeah, but most specifically, what Enoch is trying to tell you is this is a breach of rank. They broke their rank 
They're right. the office they were supposed to fill. They're not filling it anymore. They went AWOL. And so I came to a realization that this must be how the two dragons are tied to one another. Okay, so the Book of Enoch refers to Satan as more than one entity. It says Satan's commonly. I mean, it refers to them as Satan's, but the Book of Revelation calls them the kings. Right, calls them the kings. That's right. I mean, just think of all the time in the Bible where it said kings of the earth. What if that's actually just referring to these specifically? And you're eventually going to have to come to grips with that. We've already been teaching this. This is a highly, highly technical aspect of the scriptures. There are but two things. The best thing that you can go to references is the Lord's Prayer. It is here where the statement is, is given in heaven as it is on earth. This is where the entire uh, thought process comes as above, so below. This whole thought process. It comes from the biblical thing being fractured into two parts. There is God's throne and there is God's footstool. Literally what happened in the fall was reality was fractured into two different dimensions. What links these two together is commonly called Jacob's Ladder. So, you have to understand, this is what happens at the end of God's Word. At the end of God's Word, the two realities are brought back together, and the footstool is merged to the throne. Yeah, so this they is something that you're not going to see in a lot of... If you get a book of, on angelology, the things that people have tried to do, you're never going to see the thing that, that I have done to divide the orders, that there, that there isn't just one angelic hierarchy. No. That there is at least two. Right, at least two, yes. There is one that... Uh, the, our Bibles, all Bibles begin with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and, and the, the earth. earth. Two things. Two things. And when it says the earth, I think the word can mean a land. So I would I would translate that as a universe. God created the heavens and the universe. That is includes space and can, includes all the material realm that we know. Yes, matter. Yes. I once suggested that perhaps heaven is made of photons, which is just light light particles, and earth is made out of quarks or literal matter and things like that. Um, I I can't prove that, but that's possible. So with with this, we have two worlds, and I was talking with my dad about this today. The, what's significant about the two worlds is that the first world, heaven, the angels who were of the first creation, the first world, they were not meant to reproduce. They were eternal. Yeah, they were eternal beings, so they didn't need to reproduce. You know? Right. So when we were fractured at the fall, we lost our immortality. Therefore, God had to jump in and say, yeah. we have to make a reproductive process. No, no. I actually, I think God created um, in the second world, the second universe, God created something different. The process of reproduction. If you go in the book, in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, it continually says every time he creates life, he tells it. 
reproduce and multiply. Even when it talks about the plants, he says, it says, each, and it continually says, bearing seed. Yes, bearing seed. By which true, which is, which means the ability, he created everything on earth with the purpose of reproduction. Adam was not originally. There was, Adam was not meant to reproduce as far as it seems. Right. He was in a, first of all, he was, he was an eternal being. He was he was not supposed to die. Right. He was eternal. I, I, I there are some people who believe that all animals wouldn't would not be able to die, but that wouldn't make sense because, because he told them to reproduce. So yeah, and if not. because there would be one point where there would be overpopulation before. Right. That would create true overpopulation. Yeah, and and plus you can see with with carnivores they're clearly genetically built to kill. Right. And so that would only make so so we can see that God meant animals to die but not man man was clearly different not only did he bear the image of god he was uh, as far as it seems he had no gender and, and he, he was, was and he was sentient he was sentient and he was eternal he's not meant to die like all the other creatures and then then when you when you reach this fact then you step back and realize how much adam really spat off when he ate that fruit yeah he <laughs> Yeah, it, well, the book of Hebrews goes to great lengths to try to explain it to you. Yeah, he was a monumental failure. Monumental. And it took a monumental act of God to correct that. That is why the book of Hebrews plainly states that Christ is the second Adam. He is the corrective mechanism. So, we we come to this fact. So, Adam and Eve... Um, so, so God decides to create Eve in this process. He makes Adam a male. I think that this process of taking Eve from him and creating her a female, he was also transformed into being a masculine being as in having like the, the genetic right, right. things, because really he subtracted from Adam's, um, DNA to make Eve for all intents and purposes. Adam got cracked right down the middle. Yeah, basically. And then he had the ability to reproduce. And this is where God decided, I'm going to allow them to reproduce. But, I mean, really what makes you think, all these children are going to be immortal. What are you going to do with, with, with overpopulation then? But really, if you really think about it, what if God only had that originally only planned for that to just be Adam and Eve reproducing? I mean, once you get down to that, I mean, okay, let's let's throttle the engine, right? What you're trying to say is, is what if all these children would have been little Adams and they would have been genderless and they would have been eternal? Perhaps that's what you're trying to say. And this is what is alluded to when the promise is stated, your children shall be as the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. Yeah. And, and, and so with that, with that said, we, we kind of deviated in that. But this is clear. Heaven and, and the universe are two different worlds. Right. There. And they have two different ways of working. I mean, we don't even know half of the things that goes on in the heavenly realm. I mean, we don't even know what it looks like. If you were going to, you know, the first, second, third heaven, what would it look like? We don't even understand what that means, or could we even comprehend it? But um, we're not going there. I mean, 
the, the heavens is coming to us and we're being going to be unified That's right. into one. And this, how, what's my proof of that? Well, there's a paradise on earth, but guess what? There's also one in heaven. Right. How are there a heaven in a paradise in heaven and a paradise on earth? Because the throne was once one with the footstool. God had set down his throne down here. That's right. In the garden. That's right. And at the end of Revelation, he plainly, it comes down. You don't go up, it comes down. Yeah, there are very few people who are ever going to actually go up, up there into the first world. We know there was Enoch, Elijah, and then there's going to be the martyrs. Right, and the martyrs, they go. So these, this being, all of this being stated, um, I came to the conclusion that there's actually two, di at least two different hierarchies. That's right. And the difference, there's a hierarchy that's over the first world, which is heaven, and then the second world, the universe. The best way to say this is stop saying heaven. People will. Naturally, just get this all confused, and, and they'll think that there's outer space angels, and then there's guardian angels on Earth. That's not what we're saying. We're saying there is heaven, and there is creation, the physical world. There is the spiritual world and the physical world. So, that is to say there is a celestial hierarchy, or a heavenly hierarchy, i.e. a spiritual hierarchy. That has seven archangels. And the Book of Enoch gives us those seven names, correct? Yes. Name them for me. Okay, so the Book of Enoch gives Michael and Gabriel, which is in our canonical scripture. There's Raphael, Uriel, Sariel, Remiel, and Raguel. Are you all surprised that I have that memorized? Okay, with that <laughs> in mind. That means there is a terrestrial. There are. There is... Seven archangels that are in space. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. When, like I said, the, to say the terrestrial beings, they're part of what I call the universe. That's that right. doesn't the include creation. Even though most translations will say Earth, it's not just Earth. The planet Earth. It's the entire universe. It's everything here, and it includes space, Jupiter, the stars, the galactic all. core. All of those are part of the universe. So that is to say, when you say Satan, you are saying the seven archangels that are terrestrial. Yeah. We have, okay, so the, the, the ones who are over this world cannot be technically called angels. Because an angel means a messenger. Whenever we say angel, we're, we usually are referring to the species, but these, but the archangels more, and all those the rank of the celestial um, hierarchy, they better bear the name messenger because they're sent from heaven down to down her. They can they can trans transgress Jacob's ladder. They no, can go trans, up transverse, not transgress. I, <laughs> Thank you for Greg. Mm -hmm. Yes, transverse. They can transverse Jacob's ladder. They can go between the two. Yeah, and so this would be better to say interdimensional. They can move back and Very forth. good. They're interdimensional. They can go from the heavenly sphere to the earthly sphere. Now, I usually refer to this hierarchy as the messengers because that's what they do. The second one, the one of the universe... 
I refer to them as simply the princes or the rulers, because that's the way the scripture usually refers to them. How does Enoch refer to them? Which one is Enoch talking about when he mentions the watchers? Which which one is he referring the to? The watchers, I believe, are technically part of the celestial. They're part of the messenger group. But they have transgressed that order. But we're getting there. Okay. So the rulers is what your Bible will usually call the, 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 the earthly hierarchy. When the scripture says that Satan is the prince of this world, it doesn't really mean, mean this planet. It means, it means creation. Crea this universe. This universe, the physical matter. So he has dominion over that. Satan was not originally... So, so we're talking about is Satan one specific entity or just his seven heads? We're not sure yet, but we're getting there. So these, um, they were not meant to do what they were doing. They were not meant to become accusers. They were supposed to do their job and take care of the planet. They weren't supposed to be leading people astray and causing them to sin. That was their idea. But God allowed it. God's in his curse, he says, I will put strife between you and the woman. So because of their sin, God bound them to it. He bound them to that. And that's what when I say, when I believe God made that curse is when the satanic order was formed. The seven angels were set together to become the Satans. This is what you would call it. They, they seem to all share the name Satan because... Azazel seems to be called Satan, uh, or, or the devil on a few occasions, and yet he's in the abyss, and there's a Satan marching around on here on Earth. So it seems that all seven of them can bear that name, because it's a rank. If you say, when the scripture literally, it actually doesn't say Satan as a name, but a title, the Satan. It always says the Satan. There was a Satan or the Satan that came to this person. So basically like saying an angel right, or an archangel. Now, this is the opposite of that saying. We also have this aspect in the scripture itself. Everybody knows this. We have this certain, and you want to tread lightly here, but they are called Elohim. Yes, the scripture is... You don't have to like it. That's what they're called. They're called Elohim. If that being the case, there would be another term. There would be a celestial seven that would be in charge of a terrestrial seven, correct? Yes. You would call it would be apropos to call this group Beneha Alahim. That would be the sons of God. So you would call these seven archangels that we mentioned before. Michael, you know, Gabriel, Raphael, Uric, that group, you would call them the Elohim. You would call these others Satans. You would call them the Beneha Elohim. Correct? Is that what we're saying? Yes. Um, take, for instance, Psalm 82, verse 6. I said, you are gods. All of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. And we know that's exactly what is going to happen per Isaiah chapter 24. He says he catches them in a snare. They're trapped here. Yes, you will see it. it, 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 it um, 
it's an it's a uh, there's a council of them an assembly as um, Isaiah chapter fourteen refers to them, an assembly or a congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, these I believe are the same as the thrones. Scripture calls them sometimes calls them thrones. They're sometimes called elders. I believe the watchers were of this group. Okay, that being stated, let's do this one more time. What are you calling the seven celestial archangels? What's their names again? We call them the messengers. What's their names? Do you have their names? Say them. Yeah. Uh, Michael, Gabriel, Uriel, Raphael, Raguel, Ramiel, and Sariel. That being the case, you're going to have to give seven names to the seven Satans if what you state has any remote possibility of going the next step. Okay, this this is how I found it. Revelation 17, verse uh, chapter 10, it says, in reference to the, the seven heads, it says, they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he will he must re- remain a little while. So, um, this says five have fallen. Well, Enoch chapter 69 gives us five Satans. It's, um, and the names are really degraded, really corrupt. It, most translations will say Jekin, Gadriel, uh, Asbiel, Peneme, and Castasia. Um, I think these are corruptions and should be um, Jekim, uh, Azazel, Samael, Nebo, and Kazdi. Kazdi being the Hebrew word for Chaldean. So, we, these angels, we see Azazel is one of them. And I firmly agree with this. That um, we have testimony all over the world in Ethiopia, among the Arabs, um, a bunch of different texts. Even though they're not canonical, all of them agree to the fact that Azazel was the serpent in the garden. Azazel was the one behind it. But we know in our Bibles that Satan is. So if we understand that, that he was one of those heads in the seven among the seven, then he was a Satan. Mm-hmm. Most specifically, this would actually explain why it says he says, Your offspring will fight with her offspring. And we know Azazel was the one to actually have offspring. And Satan himself, if he is one specific being, he did not do this, or else he would be down there. He'd be in the abyss right now, that's correct. So this is the first transgression of order. Azazel was supposed to be with Satan seven, but he deviated, he broke out, and went to make the Leviathan with the Watchers. The Watchers, who were meant to be uh, judges, uh, as we see in the book of Daniel, they come and judge people. So this is why I believe that they are the council in heaven. They they come down and they were supposed to teach righteousness and they probably taught people, you know, 
that they were probably the lawgivers. Not only were they executing justice, as, as the book of Jubilee says, they're executing justice, but also, I mean, who else was going to tell somebody what plants are poisonous and which ones are not? Right. I mean, I mean, this is the gravest thought. We all know not to eat poison ivy because it'll kill you. If someone didn't come and tell us that, somebody would have to die for us to find that out. That's right. So it makes me think that maybe they were doing that too. They were coming teaching us how to farm, how to um, take care of yourself, what plants to eat and what not to eat. And um, so basically they were helping out. They were messengers from God to help out. Um, but they lusted after the women they had a, they came up with a plan and with that they for, formed together seven of their own these seven i'm not sure who they are name by name but i don't think azazel is considered one of them because azazel azazel and two other of the satans came with him um we have evidence that aramiel also called jekin and samael called asbiel also came with him. These three fell before the flood. The other two, Kazdi and Nebo, I think they fell in the second incursion. But the first, these three, they transgress the the order of sa- uh, of kings or the Melakim. They come, they transgress that order and help these form their own order. They become this dragon called the fleeing serpent. I'm not even sure why it's called the fleeing serpent. Well. Yeah, we can we can really talk about that some now let's look at the standard uh definition there for the first serpent here in the KJV it says the piercing serpent crooked piercing or fleeing that is to say crooked or fleeing by the you understand that it's moving it has to be crooked to move yeah it winds serpent so to move, it gives it, it makes the idea of movement. Now the second one that is uh, there in the KJV for crooked, that's exactly what it means. It means crooked, not straight. Mm-hmm. So this being the case, uh, it's like one has motion, one does not. It could be it, my suggestion that a bariac, the word for Fleeing may actually supposed to mean the in spiritum is the it, it means it's usually what people translate as inspired in the scripture where it says divinely inspired it means inspirited literally is how you translate it the entering in of a spirit so not the same as possession it's never used the same as possession because we don't get possessed by the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit inspires us to to say certain things and do certain things. So I believe that perhaps this actually is referring to this is the serpent in the garden. He was inspired by an entity. Now, when we take a look at this um, in the Septuagint, we have these two. um, It says the uh, one is to run away. Um. G5343, it means to run away. And then uh, the second one, the second serpent is warped or winding. Mm -hmm. So 
which is... And whenever the word Barak, the fleeing serpent, is mentioned again in Job chapter 26, it, it instead of that it says apostate serpent, which has the same meaning, to flee away. But apostate most specifically means to flee away from your faith. Right. Flee away from the truth. Which is what they did. They transgressed their order. So, if that being the case, let's finish up this revelation diatribe. Five have fallen. Mm -hmm. these, these which are named in the book of Enoch. You know, the other two, it says one is and one is yet to come. And these I've, I have historically always referred to as Abaddon and Belial. Belial is continually mentioned in the scripture. Um, he is uh, says Christ is nothing like him. Like Christ represents light, he represents darkness. Many people say he is Satan, but, I mean, if this is what we're saying, it's synonymous, you know. They're like more than one Satan, and one of them is called Belial. People who follow him are called sons of Belial. I'm not even sure what it means to be a son of Belial yet. But we do know this. The Delitz translation says that's what the two thieves were on the cross. The two thieves who were on the cross are called sons. Men, well, men of Ish Belial, men of Belial. Um, so this, um, I, and then the other one, Abaddon, the book, uh, when we have this in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 11, it says they have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, his name is Apollyon. And in, uh, earlier in the chapter we read, uh, and it says, And I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. This is after the sixth seal, of course, when the third of, of the stars fall out of heaven. So it seems clear that Abaddon here is one of the ones who fell, and he's considered a king. This is why I believe that he's one of these seven. Abaddon, I typically equate with the king of the south in Daniel chapter 11. This is what I've referred to before as the satanic civil war. That was the name we came up with. The satanic civil war where Belial, the king of the north, and Abaddon, king of the south, are in war over the Maos. They're trying to breed their Maos, and they both... I don't know if they have different ways that, or different doctrines by which they plan to do this or what. One thing is for sure. This comes to a head in Daniel chapter 11. It plainly states that this Bernice historically, this, this harlot comes into play. Mm -hmm. This cloven comes into play. They are both trying to produce the Assyrian false prophet. This is what they call the Maos. Literally, if you go to the root of it, uh, me, uh, mem, means, as a prefix, means to, from. Right, or, from. And then, Oz, is the same root of the name of Azazel. Of Azazel, that's right. So, he's from Azazel. So, let us be clear. When you take a very deep breath and look into creation itself, 
you find a hint of this, what they were doing. It's called symbiosis. It's when two organisms come up with a symbiotic relationship. It's almost the next level of creation. Take, for example, um, the orchid mantis. My daughters asked me, which, which one come first? Because obviously this mantis was either made for the orchid or the orchid was made for the mantis. Of course, you look in which one come first, Aaron, the plants or the animals? Plants. Therefore, you look into it and you find what is the most uh, disastrous thing, what is the most lethal thing to this orchid is a Pacific uh, uh, type of butterfly, which has a very specific type of worm that completely destroys this. Guess what? The orchid mantis main diet is that butterfly. So literally the orchid mantis was designed by God to protect this orchid. You understand? Yeah. I also it have seems... learned. Yeah. I've also seen similar things. Like I don't know exactly which tree it is, but it cannot reproduce without help of another living thing. Another the Capri wasp. The, yes. So, so it can't. So literally, it could not reproduce. Yes, the capri figs. It can't. It can't produce by itself. They must have the the wasp must reproduce it. I mean, whether you could argue that. I mean, this was out of order, but more than anything, it's just clear this is design. It's the next level of design. It's two things being designed to hearken off each other. It's symbiosis. This is what they were trying to do. This is why they're trying to make this Moaz. The purpose of it is to be their savior. It is their symbiotic creation, the perfect bridge between their authority and the men which they are leading. So all of you um, may be familiar with the Proto-Evangelium, which means the first gospel. The first time the Messianic prophecy was ever given was in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You shall bruise, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So the one to bruise the head of the serpent is Christ. And we're told that, that very emphatically in the scripture. But there's two promises here. Everybody, all humans, of course, are going to laud the one who bruises the head of the serpent. That's right. But it also says there's one who will bruise the heel. And it actually says this happens after. So if you look at sequentially, first one bruises the head. Afterward, there's one who comes to bruise the heel. That's right. That's correct. This would be their muaz. This is their satanic savior. Yeah, to them, this is their Messiah that they're hoping. It is their symbiotic organism that is the perfect go-between between the angels and man. I've always thought that, I mean, I actually made a post today that Satan is attacking humanity. He's driving people to kill each other, to murder each other so that they go to hell. Why does he see the church as the threat? Because church is the only... The church is the only hope for humanity. 
That's right. It's why is he? Why did God, Satan ever turn against Satan? I mean, no. Why did he ever turn against Christ? Why did he get him crucified? He wanted to make it so humans didn't have a hope. Right. So, either he wants to entirely annihilate them, or he wants them to be his slaves, or something of the like. He wants a, some sort of messianic event to occur by which angels' power over humans is given. Yes. So this, that mankind is God's crown of creation. All of creation depends on humanity. Human, like all of history, everything that ever happened was God's plan for us. That's right, God's plan for us. And it wasn't about the angels. And the angels, we. this isn't in canonical scripture, but you see it. In so many texts, the Gospel of Bartholomew, you see it in the life of Adam and Eve, you see it even in the Quran, they all mention this event where this is the reason why Satan ever hated it, ever was it turned to evil at all. It was not against God. He never hated God. It said, and in, in all of the texts say this exact phrase in some line or whatever. I am a flaming fire. I will not bow to a being lesser and younger than me. And that is the true problem that God gave man dominion. And, and in this moaz, he's going to give this moaz dominion. So, sequentially, Adam, humans are the youngest creature in all of creation. Right. We were the last thing created, and God gave us all. This is literally the younger against older prophecy, all all the way to the beginning, that the older shall serve the younger. Right. But Satan has always been in that position. He was the older, and he wanted to rule over everything. See, see, rule, Satan had been given dominion over all the universe, and yet suddenly God creates a little man. He says, you get to rule over the earth. And then the scripture says that Satan became puffed up with pride in that exact wording. And another, in, in the Wisdom of Solomon, it says it was envy. And it's actually both. He became prideful about his own nature and envious of the promise to man. And so, basically, whenever, take Israel. Israel was suffering from the hands of the Romans. And they were hoping that God would deliver them so they would become their own nation. But in take Satan's point of view, Satan's trying to be delivered from humans. He wants to have abstinency over all the earth. And so I think that's really what's going on. When he makes these Nephilim, first of all, he knows he's going to have to do that to make his Messiah. He's going to have to do that to make his males. But, I mean, really, we are told in the um, in the book of Enoch that the very reason they fell was for the purpose of bearing their children. Right. To make children. Whom they called their beloved. Just like God called his son, his beloved son. Right. With whom he was well pleased. So, they had all, this, was, this messianic plan was always at the start. It's, it's almost like a cult. Right. They're wanting to create a 
symbiotic organism to rule over man for them. If not to replace them. I don't know. Right. And herein you have uh, this this riddle played out in Daniel chapter 11. Yep. Yeah. Because it says that it references this maos or a fortress, which both of them keep taking. Both sides keep fighting over this maos. And so I came to this conclusion, what if this maos is a person? And I came to this conclusion, the king, it references a treaty. There's the king of the north marries the king of the south. Via this woman, this bride. So mm -hmm. one has the cloven. One has the mother. But in order to make that moaz, they need the male sperm. Yeah, you saw, so there's, so they all knew from the beginning that the, that the son of that this Messiah would have to be the son of the morning star. They said that, well, the scripture did say that that calls the Messiah the, the morning star. Mm, so, right. they, so who is the morning star? Azazel. Azazel, they would have to go to him to get their mayas. So, but they didn't have any blood. All of that had been washed over in the flood, that, that bloodline. So they... So really, right now they're trying desperately to find the DNA of Azazel by which to create their mayas, the perfect father. But you also have to have a perfect mother. You have to have a cloven. A cloven? No, like, like I I did the math. Like, it has to be a cloven of seven different several different generations. That's right. There would have to be several generations of breeding. This is what makes that tale in Daniel chapter 11 so key critical. Why would it call her the daughter of women? That's right, the daughter of women. She is the perfect cloven. She's what's required to create the Assyrian false prophet. Yep. So now, this is the this is the treaty. They realized we can't get our mayas without coming together because Belial has bred his perfect father he found the dna and abaddon already has is in possession of the cloven the perfect cloven the the, the prostitute of yes of revelation chapter 18 this this woman who rides the beast this the these two had to come together in order to unite to make this maos and then there's a civil war it seems that the mother who Begets this father. I always called the, the, the father of the Maos or, or the Assyrian as Nisroch because that just makes sense to the prophecy. But um, the mother of Nisroch, if you take in, we have to go isochronal history. Right. Because uh, isochronally, this is what happened. Um, Bernice is married to the, the, the king of the north um and the king of the north mother he murders her and her son in order to gain power so if we take this isochronal event we can understand what it means when it says that those that she and her spouse will not would lose power this is when the treaty is shattered and the civil war begins again 
So you get this when you go to Daniel chapter 11, um, and you get exactly what you need in the very first verse of chapter 12. So why don't you give us that layout there? Okay, so <clears throat> Daniel chapter 11 starts with one verses 1 all the way to 4. Those are referring to earthly kingdoms, in my opinion. Those are referring to things going on on our planet among humans. But then it begins in verse 5. We're talking about angelic realms. The king of the south shall become strong, and one of his princes, and he shall be strong above him and have dominion, and his dominion shall be a great dominion. So this re one rebels. This one I have always called Belial, and he gains the name king of the north. At the end of years, they shall join themselves together. The daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement, but she shall not retain her strength, the strength of her arm. Neither shall he stand, nor his arm, but she will be taken up, and those who brought her, and those who became the father of her, and he who became the father of her, and he who strengthened her in those times. So, she gets murdered. He, the father gets murdered by the mother on that side. This woman, Laodice, is what she's called, if you want to look her up. I don't know who this character appears in prophecy as. But then it says, but a shoot of, from her roots shall stand up in his place. And this is, this is a person who, a descendant of hers who becomes, not a descendant of hers, but a relative, a, I think it was one of her brothers in, in back, going back isochronally, it was one of her brothers or relatives on the side that who comes up representing the king of the south and he makes war. He will come with an army and enter into the fortress, the Maos of the king of the north. So the king of the north has his fortress. And this this is the Maos, the infant who's born. And he's making war with them. So really, this is when it just gets to the point where they're just fighting over the Maos. He doesn't grow up until <clears throat> he doesn't appear until uh, verse 21 um, when he comes and takes over the king of the north. So he, in a sense, represents the north at that point because he takes it over and uproots it. He uproots Belial's kingdom. In my opinion, what he really does is he unifies the two armies. This is how they go end up going into war. Daniel chapter 8 describes that he will rise up even to the host of heaven and cause some to fall. But under him, basically, he unifies the perfect army to war. So it says he will obtain the kingdom by flatteries, verse 21. Um, and so it says, the overwhelming forces shall be overflowed from before him, and he shall be broken. Yes, also the prince of the covenant. After the treaty made with him, he shall work deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small people. In a time of security shall come even the fattest places of the province. Lord have mercy. Now, you realize what this is implying here, that this war... Um, um, this war, if you keep going down, 
you realize that this is what it comes to. Verse 43, But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But news out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. And he shall go forth a great fury to destroy and utterly sweep many way. He shall plant the tents of his palace between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. Describe what's going on here. This Armageddon. This is Armageddon. This is... Now, to be sure, what is being described here is not what anyone is ever going to hear anywhere else. Not anywhere else. This is describing that the three spirits of the three frogs that comes out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, this is stating that they're all going to go to war against each other. When anywhere else you read in any commentary, it is plainly state that everybody comes together to Armageddon to war against Christ. And this just wouldn't make sense. They go out into all the earth to send people. And they don't even know. How do they even know he's coming? Because this, Jesus is very clear. I am coming like a thief. So that's contradictory to your own Bible. To think that they know that Jesus is coming. Yet it does say you will see the sign of the Son of Man coming with power and great, great glory. Oh yes, you will. You see it. You'll see Jupiter up there. But when Jesus Himself actually comes, He's going to come like a thief. You won't know it. So you are stating that these spirits of these three frogs are going out to the entire world to get these armies to gather together to war against each other, and Christ the King crashes a party. And wipes them all out. This is Revelation 16, verse 13. Now coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits, something like frogs. For, th for they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go forth to the kings of the whole inhabited earth to gather them to war together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. And it says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. That's where it says, I come like a thief. He literally, in the very next verse, tells you, they don't know I'm coming. You will know Christians will be able to see him coming. Because they've been taken to a place that's been prepared, correct? Mm -hmm. Take note, Aaron. Verse 15 of chapter 16 plainly states, These armies that these three frogs have gathered will not see him coming. It's exactly what it just said. Yet you go to any commentary, anywhere, and they lie. They say these three frogs gather all the armies to fight against Christ. No, no, they don't. They all come into war against each other, and here the Messiah comes face to face with their false Messiah. And wipes everybody out. But this is, goes back to the root of why Christ said, your king, a kingdom divided against itself cannot, cannot stand. stand. This is the end. He said, actually, Christ goes, he says, their end, it will be their very end once they divide against each other. This is his end. It seems that the beast, who is 
Azazel actually turns against his own Messiah. Turns against the Muaz. Which makes sense because it says that he elevates himself above every god. Yes. And then the dragon rebels, uh, turns against all of them. He's like, oh, I, you can't have my authority anymore. That's right. So we have all three factions coming together to wipe each other out. And Christ the King puts the cherry on top and literally stamps the field of war clean. He wipes it clean. Yeah. So, this is off the hook. When you go uh, back to Daniel, you'll take note what follows suit here. Um, verse 44. But news out of the east and out of the north, that's these other two factions. Okay? Those And, and those are, consider, these are kingdoms that were formerly his. That's right, that were formerly his. Uh, shall trouble him, and he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly sweep many way. He shall plant his tents, his palace between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to an end, and none shall help him. The very first verse of Daniel chapter 12 reads... Yeah, sequentially, what? if you were to take away the chapters... And take the last verse of that chapter and go to the right next. What's the next thing that says? It? At that time, shall Michael, Michael stand, stand up. up. The great prince who stands for the children of our people. There shall be a great time of trouble. Such as never has been. Then there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone be found written in the book. Right, because Christ crashes the party. Warren is not thinking Michael is Christ, but he's coming with him, of course. So, with this in mind, okay, now all these things make sense. Now let's go back to Isaiah, the 27th chapter, and let's riddle what we can, shall we? Going back to, now, the New American Standard Version. On that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Which group is this, Aaron? The fleeing serpent is the Watchers. Which group in Revelation is this? Let me ask this. This one-third of hosts of heaven that fall, what are they? They represent the dragon. They represent the red dragon. So, who would these two Leviathans be? So, the first Leviathan is the beast from the sea. He has seven heads, which represent the seven watchers. And even though Azazel was technically supposed to be one of Satan's, but transgressed that order, he rules over that. And he represents that group. Then the red dragon is the crooked serpent. The crooked serpent is, represents all those angels still loyal to Abaddon. Okay, and so we have all three here. Yeah, he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. Is how it ends there. If we were to refer to the dragon who lives in the sea as a separate being, is this does this represent? Does this represent the false prophet? We are told that the sea represents nations and tongues. Many nations, tribes, and tongues. Yes. And he is 
of course, by blood a dragon. He's the son of Azazel. He's the son of Azazel. That's correct. And, um, yeah, it, going back to Job chapter 26, it says, He quieted the sea with his power. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. So, to make it clear, we have angels that are going to fall. They're coming. They're one-third that the dragon takes his tail and sweeps out. <laughs> the other one has already fell there in the abyss right now. Yeah. And then you have this one that lives in the sea, the Assyrian false prophet. Yep. Remember what it says? He would sit his tent between the holy mountain and the sea. The sea and the sea, that's correct. So the holy mountain being Mount Zion, the heavenly throne room. Whoa. The sea being many tribes, nations, and times. So literally you have all three entities here perfectly delivered. And ladies and gentlemen, when you go uh, and read on uh, the rest uh, of Isaiah chapter 27, it's only 13 verses, but it says things that are really off the hook. Let me read the final verse. This will be enough because it will blow you away. Because literally, ladies and gentlemen, this verse literally says the trumpet will be blown. So, <laughs> Isaiah chapter 27, verse 13. It will come about also in that day that a great trumpet will be blown. And those who are perishing in the land of Assyria and those who are scattered in the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. So, the significance of this is that, um, why does it name Assyria and Egypt? Well, the king of the south, isochronally, if you go back, is Ptolemy, king of Egypt. That was one of the, um, after the king of, after Alexander's king to, Alexander died, his kingdom was shattered into four sections, the greatest of them being the southern, which was in Egypt, Egypt and then the other one, which was in Mesopotamia, which would be Assyria. Assyria. So we have everything here tied together, but yes, ladies and gentlemen, I strongly suggest you do a, a very thorough study of Isaiah chapter 27. Because it just says things that are really off the hook. But So, to cap things off, we mentioned earlier that when angels fall, there's no one to replace them. That's right. It well, leaves a vacuum because they don't reproduce. Well, God does not... God did not design them to be replaced son once you create a vacuum i said in a normal stance of things the way a military works is just because you've got the next ranking officer doesn't mean he can take command until issue until he's been issued orders to fill that hole you understand so yes um that mechanism was not in place so i suggest a possible solution um for psalms 
19 verse 5, you're going to have to look in the Septuagint because your, all your other English translations are garbage. In the sun he placed his tabernacle. He is like a bridegroom coming from his chamber. He will rejoice as a giant to run his course. Next verse, his going forth is from the summit of heaven. His course is to the summit thereof. And from his heat, none can be hid. So he is like a bridegroom, Christ, like a giant to run his course. So we talked about angels transgressing their proper course. Right. So we talked about this. What about Nimrod, a giant, who served the Lord? What would happen to his spirit? Well, I think he rejoiced because God let him run the course whom his angelic ancestor had failed to run. So that's my suggestion. I think possibly the watchers all had their places replaced with the spirits of the Nephilim who chose to do the right thing. Interesting hypothesis. However, in the kingdom of heaven, make no mistake about it. They will be replaced. God has his rod of iron, and they are made of men. Yep. After, the, after the third come down out of heaven, the third incursion will all be replaced by... The Moshe'im. Yeah, the uh, Primus Ascendimus. So. And, the, and the Satan that we described, they will be replaced by Primus Resurrection. The, those are the first resurrection. This is the rod of iron. This is Ezekiel 37. This is the two sticks combined. So, when we, so, before we end, uh, let's, an, let's see if we can answer this question. Is Satan one of the seven or not? Is Satan, whenever Christ said the prince of this world, who is he referring to? Is he referring to Abaddon? I mean, you've mentioned before to me that sometimes in, in, in military rank, there's one that's considered part of them, but he has slightly higher rank. Even one day, even 24 hours, if he has 24 more hours in the service, he outranks the person standing right beside him. So he could be one of the seven, but he's still higher. And like I've stated before, it could be that the office is rotated cyclically. You have seven heads, and for a time, it rotates just like, well, just like the earth rotates around the sun. Yeah. That for a certain amount of time, each of those seven sit at the head of the table. Yeah, and this actually comes back to another question we asked about who the angel of the Lord is, because if this happens in if if this is true that there's not one Satan, more than one Satan, then that would be there's not one angel of the Lord. That's right. There would they, be all seven. They are the Elohim. There are seven of them. We already gave their names. So whichever time of the year it was, or whichever time of the decade, whatever. Okay. Whatever time span this is, if it was Gabriel's turn, he's the angel of the Lord. Yeah. Or if, have, if it's uh, Raguel's time, he's the angel of the Lord. Yeah. It, it, we have evidence of this, and that Gabriel is quite clearly called an angel of the Lord 
Right. But also, Michael appears to be as well. And the only thing that makes sense is these seven, these are the Elohim, and they are cycled through. They're cycled through. So, <laughs> with that in mind... Uh, so, 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 with that in mind, we're saying that Satan is not necessarily one person. He's seven. There's seven Satans. There's seven Satans. That's why it says that the dragon has... This mechanism is how everything makes sense. This literally makes the Bible make sense. It makes it make sense. That's what it does. So, with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that we have left you with much to consider, much to ponder. And I cannot stress this enough. Do an in-depth exegesis to the best of your ability of those 13 verses in Isaiah chapter 27. They will most assuredly blow your mind. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed. FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate. We don't need your money to survive. We pay for the network with our own hard-earned cash. But if you want to help us grow and reach more people, just go to FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you a free network t-shirt. FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate.